welcome to the FE Research Podcast with Joe and Alistair, a podcast that aims to shine a light on the practitioner inquiry, scholarship and research being carried out within further education. And that leads to a change throughout the organisation. So I've seen so many different examples, so many different types of change that, yes, I think practitioner research brings about change, but I think the, the change that's brought about um, can differ quite a lot in its nature and and to me, um, it doesn't really matter what type of change is brought about, but as long as change, change occurs. Hello and welcome to the FE Research Podcast. My name is Jo Fletcher-Saxon and my partner in crime is... It's Alistair Smith. Hello, Jo. Hello, Alistair. How are you? I'm really good today, thank you. How about yourself? Uh, good, because we're, fi- we're I was going to say filming then, we're recording this at the end of term. I don't know when it'll go out, but it's just the end of term. So this is fantastic. <laughs> it's, it's your relaxed time now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So today on the podcast, what we've decided to do is have people from organisations that are kind of put part of that broader infrastructure of the further education sector. So today we have Dr. Catherine Manning with us. She is the National Head of Practitioner Research and Development at the Education and Training Foundation. Hello, Catherine. Hi Jo, hi Alistair, hi, hi. everyone, um, thanks for having me along today, really excited to be here. Oh really, we're really pleased um, you're giving up your time for us today. So um, let's dive, dive straight in and yes. just tell us a bit about the Education and Training Foundation because actually not everybody, I work in a sixth form college actually, we don't necessarily engage with the ETF as much as GFE I think. So do tell us a bit about the ETF and about your role there. Yeah, sure. So um, the Education and Training Foundation, or ETF, as it's commonly known, was set up in 2013. Um, So for ages, I've been saying it's quite a young organisation, but as the years tick by, it's getting a little older. Um, We're a charity. Um, It's a a national organisation. And primarily, we um, provide professional development programmes for practitioners working in the FE sector. And so these these professional development programs are on a whole range of different topics. So some of them are about leadership, Um, for instance. We have other programs which are about enhancing the teaching of English and maths. Um, We have programs around digital teaching skills. Um, We've got prevent training. Um, all all sorts of things and um, the ETF also um, manages some professional networks for FE practitioners and we support recruitment into the sector and we also at times undertake um, bits of um, data and and research ourselves to share with the sector and just one other element of our work because it's quite substantial is that we um, also are home to the Society for Education and Training, which is the largest professional membership body for FE practitioners. So there are around 20,000 members of the society, or SET as as it's called, and SET award um, QTLS, um, Qualified Teacher Learning and Skills, and also ATS, which is the Advanced Teacher Status. So that's that's sort of what ETF does. we were quite a small organisation until relatively recently, so sort of around 50 employees. But over the last sort of 
six months to a year, I guess, we've expanded. So we're now a medium-sized organisation, um, usually based in London, but um, we're talking uh, sort of during lockdown periods. And so, um, yeah, so the office is closed at the moment and, and we're all working from home. Um, so my role within ETF, um, yeah, Joe, my, my job title is a bit of a, a bit of a mouthful, but it's national. No, I like it. I like it. Sounds good. <laughs> national head of practitioner research and development. So this is quite a new role. Um, I had a slightly different different role before. So this this role I've been doing since April, so just over three months. And essentially, I design professional development programs um, for teachers and trainers, which centre around either practitioner-led inquiry or practitioner research. Um, I, I design other types of programs as well, but my, my role is mainly focused on creating opportunities for FE practitioners to undertake CPD through these methods of practitioner-led inquiry or practitioner research. So, so that's it in, a, in kind of... A, a yeah. So you're the perfect person to be speaking to on this podcast, then, aren't you? Oh, good. I'm pleased. I'm in the right place. You are in the right. You found your home in the podcast. <laughs> Actually, just mentioning set that reminds me. I think tomorrow's the deadline for renewing my memberships. <laughs> oh well. Could <laughs> be today, or maybe it was yesterday. It was definitely this week. <laughs> yeah, you know more than me, Joe. Actually, on that, yes, do renew your membership. Yeah. Um, I will indeed. Okay, so um, I was trying to, I had, I, you know, I had about, uh, about three questions formed in my head then, but I'm going to move on to the ones I got written down. They'll come back to me. Um, obviously, you, you've got a doctorate yourself. So uh, do you want to tell us a bit about the research that you did and, and does that in any way inform what you do in your role now? Yeah, that, that's a really good um, question. So I, um, I started um, teaching in FE um, when I when I left university, and uh, I was working in prison education um, to begin with. And it was when I was working there that I started a, a part-time masters in education. And um, and I also was working at an FE college. And um, so towards the end of my masters, I, I was doing a dissertation and needed to decide what what topic to, to focus on and um, although I was really interested in prison education it's, it's quite difficult to do research in that context because of the various sort of um, processes and ethical approvals that, that you have to get so in the end I punched to do my um, dissertation in my setting at the FE college and I was involved in teacher education at the time and I decided that I wanted to research mentoring and coaching um, because I was a mentor for new teachers which I loved and that was a really enjoyable role. Um, I was a coach to existing teachers and the college were using it in this sort of performative way you know go and work with the teachers who, who were deemed to not be performing very well and, and that coaching role was quite challenging so I thought that would make quite a good study um, for my master's dissertation. So that's sort of where I, I started off um, my research um, career, I suppose. And um, towards the end of my master's, the university where I was studying advertised for a full-time funded PhD um, studentship. And it was on mentoring, so that, that caught my attention. 
And, um, but they also said that um, the, the research could take place in a school setting or a further education setting. And it, because you know, research in FE, as you know, is, you know, is underdeveloped, I was so pleased to see that they'd acknowledged that the research could take place in the FE setting. So, so I applied for it and I got that which then meant that I stopped teaching and gave up my job and became a full-time um, PhD student. And I did my study on mentoring for student teachers in the further education sector. And it was a comparative study between England and Norway. So I did a couple of um, field trips to Norway and went and visited um, their equivalent of um, 16 to 19 education there. And I interviewed mentors and mentees um, so I worked with 12 pairs of um, mentors and mentees. I interviewed them separately for the study, um, but I also asked them to do um, make recordings, audio recordings of their mentoring meetings. So my main data collection and analysis um, involved at the interviews uh, and these recordings. And um, yeah, it was, it was great. Uh, it was tough, um, but I was thinking about this a little earlier. I think in some ways the, the master's dissertation was more challenging than, than the PhD in, in some senses. So, um, yeah, it was, it was a kind of, everyone I think who goes through that, that research experience has that kind of roller coaster ride and mine was certainly a roller coaster ride. But, um, but yeah, it, it was a great experience and it has informed the way that I work now um, in different ways. You know, I learned a lot about mentoring and coaching, but, I also learned a lot about myself um, and I learned a lot about ways of working and how to manage your workload and manage your time and how to live with things like uncertainty and self-doubt and the syndrome and all of these things, which I think helped me now um, in my role um, at the ETF. Okay. Uh, oh, do you, do you speak Norwegian then, Catherine? I don't speak Norwegian now, but fortunately, Norwegians are very good at speaking English. They are, yeah. <laughs> so, I've been out to primary schools in Norway. But I've not, oh, have you? Yeah, but not, not been in forests, in forest schools. Yes. Yeah. I've not, not hung out yeah. in any 16 to 19 settings. Yeah. Um, coaching and mentoring, very en vogue, very much of the moment, isn't it? So, uh, yeah. Lots of places rolling out coaching cultures. We interviewed Gav Knox from uh, Lincoln College, and that's what his um, MPhil, of course, is, is all about. That. We've yeah. already interviewed him. And I think Leeds Beckett, I don't know if you've got any links with Leeds Beckett in their collective ed. Um, yeah, she's nodding. I, yeah, I don't have links. I, 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 I'm familiar with them. I, I know of their work. Yeah. Um, they are rolling out, I think, some kind of set of standards or award or something for schools and colleges looking at the coach and they wanted some volunteers to kind of do it with them to test it out and we've been picked actually at the sixth form so i'm delighted we're gonna that's be great. yeah yeah that's really good oh, yeah go on sorry i was just gonna mention that um etf are about to roll out a, a national um mentoring training um program which will be happening um next academic year 2021 and um so there's, yeah, so there's going to be a lot, quite a big focus, I think, yeah. on development for mentors and, and we're developing a framework and, and some guides um, for mentees, mentors and, and leaders to yeah. do that. So it's definitely, as you say, on, on Vogue and um, it's great 
you know, I'm pleased that we're doing that piece of work because it gives me a chance to apply, you know, some of the findings and things from my thesis to actual kind of real life, as it were. So. Yeah. I, somebody had um, commented today, actually, a colleague saying um, they used to have coaches and mentors quite established a few years ago. It's all fizzled out. There's something about the sustainability isn't of this stuff. We have to ensure it's sustainable. Yeah, absolutely. And like with anything, it you know it comes with costs, and and sometimes you know when organisations have to prioritise, um, coaching and ment mentoring can then sort of slip down the agenda. And so I think there's work there about keeping it near the top of the agenda. Where well, it reverts back to that performative type of um, yeah, only for a teacher who's perceived as struggling or something. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, you've been designing programmes. Do you want to tell us about some more of the things you've been designing then, other than yeah. I'd, yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. Um, so I'll, I'll tell you about um, about three three of our programs, two of which I've been involved in the design of, um, and one of which um, I haven't, but is relevant to our conversation. So one of the programs I've been designing is called um, Practice Development Groups, and um, these, this is really um, for practitioners who maybe haven't had much experience of practitioner research or practitioner-led inquiry before and it's a chance to, to experience practitioner-led inquiry and it's um it's for maths and english teachers um or rather it's for teachers who are embedding maths um or english into their teaching and um and it's also for for teachers of of english and um, they work in action learning sets and um, each participant will pick an area of their practice that they want to um, develop. And um, they'll work within their action learning set over a four month period to bring about some sort of change in their practice. And um, the action learning sets are facilitated. So there's a, a trained facilitator who will lead each of the sessions. And at the end of the four months, um, we hope that each of the participants will have enjoyed taking charge of their own professional development, have enjoyed the support um, they will have received from their peers, and also they'll have a chance to meet people from other organisations mm. as, as part of that process. And they may, they may or may not have something that they want to share with, with colleagues and the wider sector. So it's really kind of a, an entry level or an introduction really to kind of practitioner-led inquiry. So that so that's practice development groups. So that's, that's one thing I've been working on. And then that is sort of designed really as a precursor or a lead in to something like the, an OTLA collaborative project, which, which you'll be familiar with. But for those people um, who aren't familiar with that, OTLA um, stands for Outstanding Teaching, Learning and Assessment. And each year at the ETF, um, we commission a delivery partner to lead um, a collaborative project on a particular theme that enables practitioners to undertake a small piece of action research over usually a nine month period. So last year and, and this year, we've commissioned a delivery partner who's working with English teachers. And um, each, um, each, so what happens is that FE providers will apply. It's normally a small group of English teachers from an FE um, provider will apply and they propose an, an idea for their action research project that they want to explore. And the topics can be quite wide ranging, looking at things like uh, 
resilience or the use of a particular um, digital tool um, in English teaching, developing a reading culture, these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. and, um, if they're selected, then over the nine month period, they're supported by, by a research mentor to undertake a process of quite a formalized process of action research. And at the end of it, they have a, a report. Um, so the delivery partner publishes a collection of the reports or case studies um, showing how each of the action research projects has been undertaken and what they found at the end of it. Um, and then, then a third programme which we run, which I haven't been involved in the design of, but you and Alistair will, will, will know about it in some that is the practitioner um, research programme that we run, which is um, postgraduate level um, course um, that we run in partnership with the University of Sunderland and um, Joe and Alistair, I don't know whether you've, you've talked about your experiences of that programme on, on your podcast series yet, but uh, we haven't then, then maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, Alistair did, Alistair did the first one. Yeah. yeah, you know, we took over the first one. Um, yeah, uh, just going through those three, the practice development groups, why just maths and English? Yeah, that's a really good question. So most of our funding comes from the Department for Education and uh, the Department for Education have different kind of pots of money for different things. And so they'll have a kind of digital pot, a maths and English pot, and so on and so forth. And so it's this, the practice development groups are funded by the Department for Education and their maths and English pot. So that's why there's that, that focus. And um, so we, we run quite a, a wide range of different um, CPD programmes to enhance the teaching and learning of maths and English. Um, because, um, you know, for DFB and for others, it is a, a priority. And so that's why that's why there is that particular program for the practice development groups. Is it CFEM or is that something else? That's something else. Yeah, CFEM is Centre for Excellence in Maths, and that's a that's a different program. That's a distinct program um, that focuses on um, the development of teaching of maths. Right. Uh, you know, because you you see all these things or hear all these yeah. things but it's you know yeah what they are um yeah. i um, participated during the year in um a kind of digital um a zoom based action research support group before everybody was on zoom catherine yeah. before. um <laughs> the north so i don't yeah, you know, yeah. The north. so yeah. and i think they're going to do that do that again actually and that was that, that that was really really good so there was there were spaces for people who weren't maths and english because i'm not yeah 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 no pd north um yeah we work with them they're a great delivery partner and and you're right you say they have quite a, a broad remit in supporting teachers sort of across the sector from all different subject areas yeah. um otla i've interviewed a couple of people we've uh, interviewed um, elizabeth draper from warrington vale royal so about reading culture and, and things that we do with um, students now, I remember which students, uh, oh construction, it's construction students they're doing uh, yeah some kind of English program with construction so yes yeah, so, we, so we've heard a, a little bit about that. I 
put in for a bid for OCLA. Did it wasn't successful, Catherine. It was my first attempt. Wasn't successful. I'll just uh, that here. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that, Joe. Um, I, I can pass that responsibility over to our delivery partner, who score all of the all of the bids. But yeah, I will have a word with them about that. Absolutely. But you know, actually, the whole bidding thing. If you're not used to it, that's quite a thing, actually. So yeah. it's sort of a skill in itself, I think. It is. You're absolutely right. It is, yeah. Um, yeah, and then and then sunset, which of course, yeah. We call ourselves hashtag sunset rangers. Yeah. <laughs> wow, <laughs> love it. Okay. Um, if I asked a broader question then about what's your view on why research, if you believe it is, is integral to the further education sector right now? Um, well, I think if we, so if I sort of narrow that slightly to think about sort of the role of practitioner research, and this is something that I'm particularly passionate about, um, because for me, that experience that I spoke about a bit earlier, being able to undertake the, the education on my master's to actually do some research around my own practice was really um, empowering and actually sort of changed the course of my career in the long term. Um, so, and in the short term, it enabled me to connect with other practitioners who were facing sort of similar situations and challenges to the ones that I, that I was. And um, it also enabled me to undertake some reading and gain a better kind of theoretical understanding around sort of mentoring and coaching in particular, which really helped me um, manage the difficult situations that, that I was facing um, on a regular basis. So I think um, the role of practitioner research is, is really important for, tho for those reasons, really, because it can give people, it can give practitioners a sense of taking charge of their own professional development. So rather than someone else telling them what it is they need to improve or focus on, I think it's, it, gives them a, it can give people a sense of autonomy and empowerment to actually take charge of that process for themselves. Mm. And um, there are other benefits, I think, for drawing on practitioner research and practitioner-led inquiry as a method of CPD because it enables because it's done over a sort of longer period of time than say some uh, training events and that sort of thing, because it's done over a longer period of time. It gives practitioners a chance to have that kind of deliberate practice to try something, try something and, and try something again. And that's how expertise are, are really developed through, the, through having that opportunity to pull that deliberate practice. It's also something that hopefully can be sustained over, over a period of time and it allows practitioners, as I mentioned, you know, the chance to read around, ideally, that, um, that area of their practice, to read other people's accounts, to read wider literature or research, to look at theories, look at models, and, you know, they say knowledge is power, I don't know that. I think it's true, you know, the more you can understand about a particular area of your practice, the more chance you have, I think, of making changes, developments and improvements. And I think practitioner research gives you, gives you the chance to do that. 
And I think it's particularly important at the moment because there's so much, there's so much change. I mean, there's a lot of change in FE anyway, but there's a particular amount of change, intense period of change that we're going through with, with the COVID situation. And I think if practitioners can have the chance to not only manage that situation, but learn, learn about it and take charge of their own learning about it and, and how best to, to, to manage that situation rather than attending endless training. Yeah. Oh, you preach it to the converted today. Oh, good. Yeah. Um, I mean, my sunset uh, project was about the, if it's possible and how um, to set up a practitioner research group in a sixth form college. And, and yeah. that's what, that's what I've been doing. That was my project really. And, um, and so this year I've managed to shift us away from those kind of workshops where people rock up and just sit in a room for an hour and have a cake and, you know, yeah. that kind of oh, thing. I'm intrigued. How has that gone? Well, we're in the second year and of course it's, it got abruptly um, ended. The first yeah. year was um, good, small numbers, people not confident, worried about time commitments, that kind of thing. Yeah. But big impact really because one woman, uh, one colleague, she looked at coaching and is now rolling that out across college. So, you know. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and then another example is just somebody, child something quite small in the chemistry classroom with, with um, the female students and is making a difference just a very a small level so you you know really <laughs> you know the impact is there yeah yeah mm. so I'm really excited to roll roll out more so we've got a whole it's like you're into me now i'm going to tell you <laughs> um, we've got a whole sort of teaching and learning program for next year which is really all starting with what are you curious about not this is a menu yeah what are you curious about and then we'll look at how to work with you on that whether it's a journal reading session or it's a uh, working with a coach or it's doing some research so yeah so I'll keep going with that yeah sounds great yeah um so um i think in a way the other questions i've got you've kind of covered them so i'm going to pass over to alistair now okay okay thank you jay um i was listening to all those things and, and the the order i've got of my questions noted down and they, they don't quite fit with the thinking but i'm kind of going to jump into one that was right near the end and and um the more i was thinking about the way i've written this question i kind of already got got answers for it for me um but i'll, I'll ask you first and, and explain so do you think then that that research can really lead to change um and kind of um have that impact that, that you desire are you starting to see those things happening yeah, I think um, I think there's different different types of change um, that occur. So yeah, I, I think I can't I can't um, now pinpoint an example where someone's been involved in in a process of practitioner led inquiry or practitioner research and it hasn't brought about some sort of change. Um, so to answer your question, yes, I do think it brings about change. The nature of that change can be quite different and quite wide ranging. So it might be a change in a way of thinking about something. It might be a change in the way of doing something. It might be a change in the way that you feel about something. It might be a change in how you, what you feel you know about a particular subject. It might be a change, a wider change, um, more kind of 
macro level change in terms of might be a change in policy within the organization or um, it might involve um, going to SMT and and talking and, and convincing them to, to adopt something that hasn't been done before and that leads to a change throughout the organization so I've seen so many different examples so many different types of change that yes I think practitioner research brings about change but I think the, the change that's brought about um, can differ quite a lot in its nature and, and to me um, it doesn't really matter what type of change is brought about but as long as change change occurs yeah yeah, no, because I, I I as I was thinking and listening to you talking, um, my first involvement with the practitioner research was through an OTLA program that we did with uh, with our college, which then led to the sunset work, which um, led to me meeting Joe and the research meets and then doing the podcast and meeting everyone else on here and part of that wider community of Twitter. So um, yeah. th that's just the, the really simple version. But um, yeah, I had... I had um, thoughts on that, which kind of expanded. I was talking to one of our senior leaders um, about the kind of difference between education and industries. And industries always have research and development departments, and that's how they progress and evolve and, and grow. But it's sort of something that's almost missing in, in the education sector. So is that kind of part of what the ETF are, are kind of trying to do, almost feed into that research and, and development kind of um, aspect that's perhaps missing in FE, do you think? Yeah, I think it's trying to um, promote a culture of um, practitioner-led uh, CPD. And um, so rather than having a kind of, say, like a, a discrete uh, research and development team in, in a college, say, I think, I think what, what we're doing at ETF is actually promoting a version of development where it's, it's the teachers and trainers themselves that are undertaking um, the research and the inquiry and it's the teachers and trainers themselves that are identifying and then applying the findings that come out of that process and so um, I think that's I think that's the main way we're contributing um, to, to that kind of process it's interesting um, that you mentioned that um, comparison with, with other industries. It's not something I've, um, I've thought about a lot before in that way that you're outlined with, where typically you might have a, a research and development team or departments, and perhaps that's something that's, that's lacking in education. I, um, I do think that's true. And I do think there's value in having dedicated professional researchers in any sector, including education. But I also think there's value in practitioners undertaking research themselves. And I think that's where ETF are, are kind of, that, that's the area we're, we're working on at the moment. Yeah, and, and I, I guess it's really difficult because there are so many um, external organisations and stakeholders that kind of form part of that. So. How, how did the ETF go about kind of managing bringing those organizations together to start to, to kind of make those developments? Yeah, I think, um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure that, I think that's probably in its infancy, to be honest, in terms of, yeah, I'm not sure that ETF would position itself as an organization that um, would bring together sort of um, other organizations that are, 
interested in in the role of research i don't think we've sort of reached that stage yet but what we do do is um we do work um in a supportive way with other uh, networks and organizations that are committed to the role of practitioner research in the sector um, so for instance um fe research meets which which you're obviously very involved with um, the society for education and training ha has um offers some funding for that previously and um and we do try and support those um and encourage um people to attend and um, we've also got some close connections with the Association for Research in Post-Compulsory Education and um, we've sponsored their conference pre in previous years, for instance, and, um, and we have a similar relationship with Learning and Skills Research Network. One sort of interesting development that's happened quite recently in terms of our working with, with other organisations is connection we have with the University of Bolton and I'm not sure if, if you um, if you guys are involved with this but they've set up a new journal about learning and teaching for training teachers and teacher educators in the FE sector and it's a sort of platform for them to share their research or emerging research so this new journal um, a number of us are involved um, on the editorial board for that journal so we're really excited to see um, what the articles are that that come through and end up getting published and I think we'll be able to learn a lot a lot from that I'll just do uh, get there and say I'm an editor yeah. as well but. great yeah <laughs> I thought you probably I thought yeah I thought yeah. you would have some involvement in that so of us, I think isn't there <laughs> yeah yeah so we're really pleased to be to be involved um, with that and then um, really recently, the Association of Colleges, AOC, had a virtual FE research roundtable discussion. And again, <laughs> I don't know if Jane's nodding, who you involved in that one. So, um, so at least one of my colleagues was able to attend that. And I think um, AOC are, are really keen to try and, and bring organisations together in the way that you, that you outlined, Alistair, in your question. And, and we just certainly hope to, to play a role there. Mm. Yeah, I know it's I, difficult, I'll, isn't it? Well, sorry, I'll just, I'm just going to say a few bits there. So we're interviewing Gary Husband on Friday. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I presented there. In terms of the LSRN, I'm taking over chairing the National Planning Group for that to inject a bit of um, something in there. I'm um, sure you will. Great. And then um, yeah, that roundtable was really good, and Eddie. Playfair, of course, has been really supportive and he's been to LSRN events. So it is like a real sort of web isn't it, of connections and energy at the moment, I think. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think it's something that we've sort of, that we're doing, but we could probably do in a little bit more of a sort of um, a structured way, um, you know, this, this engagement with, with other stakeholders. So um, as I mentioned, so my, my role with this focus on practitioner research is, is relatively new and one of the first things that I've wanted to set up is a practitioner research pathway which is essentially earlier on where I described those three different programs those are sort of three different steps on this pathway 
And so that's something that I'm keen to sort of flesh out a bit and then share with the sector. And then a slightly sort of more medium to long term plan is, is to then look at how we can um, secure the, these um, partnerships, collaborations with other organisations that are also championing the, the importance of, of practitioner research. Yeah, I think every almost everyone we've spoken to um, through their kind of research journey has talked about the huge importance of community through part of that as well. So um, I think by bringing those little networks together, it, it's going to help and, and draw on that. And certainly if you're kind of helping mentor people through the research stage, it means that they have those networks to, to lean on as part of it, which is great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's quite clearly... Um, a, a clear pathway that you've got set out to make some progress, um, which is fantastic. I, I've, I've kind of, I'm, I'm looking through my questions. We've covered almost absolutely everything on here, but um, we, we normally ask um, if you have any advice for anyone interested in wanting to know more, take those next steps with a practitioner research or kind of how to get involved in those. So I, I wonder um, maybe even if that's, a, a rough idea of when the timescales are for your kind of new projects that are involved as well if you could um, cover that for us. Yeah sure so I think if anyone's interested um, is have a look on our um, have a look at the ETF website because in, in addition to the um, practice development groups and the OTLA projects and then the practitioner research program that we've spoken about there are other types of practitioner research and practitioner-led inquiry taking place within other ETF programs. So people might be interested in having a look at those. So um, for instance, there are teacher regional improvement projects which are taking part, um, which are part of the T-level professional development. And then the, um, Joe mentioned earlier, the CFEM program, Centre of Excellence in Maths, they have action research as, as a part of that and then as um we have another cpd um program for english and maths practitioners called shaping success and that also nurtures sort of practitioner-led inquiry and, and action research so there's quite a lot of different opportunities i guess through different etf programs to get involved to have that experience of practitioner research but you know, aside from from what's available through, um, yeah, aside from what's available through the ETF, I think that there are other local um, opportunities for people to get involved with practitioner research. So, I mean, the way I described is um, through the university, and so I think, um, yeah, you know, I just looked to my local university to see what opportunities were available there. So, I really recommend people have a look at that, and it doesn't necessarily have to involve undertaking a whole master's course you know sometimes you can take um short courses or certificates and things which can be a good way to um to get involved but there's lots of other initiatives as you know joe mentioned that per organization that there's this kind of ground roots movement in terms of people setting up their own um research groups within organizations so i think that that's really um really effective way to engage people as well so if it's something that is maybe not happening in your organization, but you've heard it's happening in, in another organization, then find out more about what they're doing and investigate whether that's something that you could bring to your organization. If there's a couple of other colleagues who you, who you work with who might be keen and get together and see whether you can set up something even um, informally to begin with, 
and and get get the ball rolling that way so I think yeah those would be my main uh, recommendations for someone who's looking to get involved in in practitioner research yeah, that, that is fantastic um, and we covered so much as well which is great um, I will pass over to Joe to do our kind of uh, uh, finale <laughs> part and, and she'll have some comments I'm sure but uh, yeah. thank you very much. Um, when you were talking then I was thinking that having that whole variety uh, rather than just single routes of entry is great because what I found when I did my project was people don't define themselves as, as a researcher and will not use the words practitioner researcher uh, and, and absolutely definitely not in a sixth form actually they don't use the word practitioner they're a teacher they're not a lecturer and all yeah. that and all the language yeah. barriers yeah but an English teacher will look at an English program a maths teacher will you know and that kind of thing so having that breadth mm. I think of, of roots in Mm. just really really important um, okay right then we're coming to an end so um final thoughts anything you want to say Catherine that you've not had just to say um yeah thanks it, I mean it's been a really it, it's been great for me just to sort of reflect back and think about my um my experience my personal experience of of research and how that's impacted on on me and my life and my career and and so when we were talking about change earlier you, you outlined your sort of the, the process of change that you had been through and for me it was it, it was similar you know um undertaking research first of all it opened up my eyes to the possibility of doing a phd which i never would have thought about before and then when i was doing a phd that opened my eyes to the possibility of maybe working outside the city that I was living in at that time. I was very kind of centered, I was in a little bubble there and I was like, actually, I don't necessarily need to, to work here. And, and actually there's a strange irony, while studying at the university, I also thought actually, um, I don't have to work at, at a university when I've finished my PhD or, or a college, I could go and work somewhere else and so so it really broadened my mind and towards the end of my PhD when I was job hunting I had a whole range of different types of organizations that I was I was checking their job vacancies and things and I was thinking about working for charities I was thinking about working for the government I was thinking about working for a research organization or a university or back at a college so it just really broadened mind and, and the range of possibilities that were available to me that I hadn't realized were available to me before I'd started that that research process so so I suppose yeah just to say that I think you can learn a lot from research about the actual subject that you're investigating but you can also learn a lot about yourself and you can learn a lot about the contexts in, in which you're working so for me that there are so many benefits I'd really recommend um, everyone to to get involved um, if they can what a great what a great point to end on we um we also interviewed james tarling i don't know if you've come across james no, no i haven't he's, um, on he might be towards the end of his mphil now but he he reckons it, it's changed the changed him entirely him yeah. as a person he reckons mm. you know, has, has changed the process of doing his research so great point to end on um thank you so much for your time today and I know people will uh, really enjoy listening and uh, you know getting these ideas for how they can get involved. So that's fantastic. Thank you very much. And I'm going to say goodbye. Do you both want to say goodbye? Yeah. Thank
Thank you very much, Catherine. It's been really good, really informative. Thanks for joining us on this one. So goodbye. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, goodbye. You've been listening to the FE Research Podcast. You can follow the conversations on Twitter using the hashtag FE Research Podcast. Thanks for listening and hopefully you can join us again soon.